Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, come on, LifePoint. Who's excited to be with your faith fam right now? I think you guys love each other a little more than that. Let's try that one more time. How many of you guys are excited to be here? That's what I'm talking about. It's so good to have all you guys here in the room, out in the lobby, in the tent, and online. Thank you for joining us and worshiping with us today. I don't know about you guys, but I, I love Sundays because this is when the family comes together to lift up the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name. Come on, somebody. He is worthy and he is holy, and we have gathered here today to honor him. So I can't wait to break into God's word with you today, today, but my name's Andrew Garcia. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at LifePoint. And before we kind of dive on in, I've got, I've got something I want to get off my chest. And I know some of you are going to roll your eyes at this, but I need you to reserve your judgment. This week, this week it hit me that I'm getting old. I was looking in the mirror and I realized I've got all sorts of gray hairs coming out of my head. And it's a horrible thing. And as a dude, you know, it gets even worse when you realize you've got white nostril hairs. <laughs> That's when you know you're aging and you're getting old. And, and here's the thing, right? Like some of you are like, oh my gosh, you're just a baby. Like you're rolling it off. But the truth is, is when it's you, when it's happening to you, you know it all breaks loose because you're upset that it's happening to you. So anyways, you know, I should have never made fun of my grandpa. I don't know about you guys, but I always made fun of him because he, he was always had really, really white hair. And I also like to make fun of his waddle. You know what I'm talking about? And to this day, I still do it. So I know I've got it coming. But hey, dude, such is life. But life is actually what I want to talk to us about today. And in fact, I actually, I'm really intrigued to talk about your life. You see, if our lives could be representative in time, right? And let's just use a tape measure to help break this out. And if this tape measure represented life, your life, let's say 100 years, right? Now get this, your 100 years, okay? It seems like a long time until you start to break it down. You see, most of us in this room, we've already lived at least a third of our life. So this goes away. And then while 100 years might be nice, most of us don't make it to a healthy 100, right? We find ourselves aging, right? And if not, leaving this world around maybe 80 years of age. So that means that this side's gone. I had this thing turned around on me. Which leaves us with about this much time left to live. And the question is, what are we going to do with the life that we have? How is it that we make our life matter count and use it to the best of our abilities? You see, in this, this game of life, I don't think the secret is actually quantity, right? We all know we've got an end date coming. What we're actually trying to do is figure out how do we have the most quality within life as possible? In order to thrive rather than survive, in order to flourish rather, rather than wither, we need to find and center on life on what it is that matters most. But because we imagine our life, like I, I think we all kind of do this, we imagine our life linearly like this, we, we view it from life to death. So most of us end up living our life with death in front of us, that it's coming, 
One day at some point, at some time, there's this constant awareness of our own mortality, right? Death is constantly looming ominously over our life, over our existence, casting its shadow on every day, every decision that we make. And so I think we scramble, right, in response to seize the day. We grasp at fleeting pleasures and accomplishments, driven by this awareness that our time is short, right? Carpe diem, seize the day, has become our rallying cry, a reminder of an impending expiration date. And so in frantic pursuit of life, we grasp the wrong things, seeking fulfillment in temporary pleasures, material possessions, external validation. And the thing is, life life isn't linear. It's trans-dimensional. It extends beyond the confines of time and space, encompassing dimensions and depth of meaning and purpose that defy our comprehension, that just boggle our minds. Right? And to some extent, we, we kind of, there's this elusiveness about it that we know is there. Like we're aware of or obsessed with this sense of the transcendent, with, with death and life. Like we recognize there's this interesting interplay between life and death, right? That both captivates us and quite honestly holds us captive. And our imagination runs wild with this idea, with this concept. Like, case in point would be The Walking Dead. How many of you guys love The Walking Dead? A handful of you. You're my people. The rest of you, it's okay. You're still going to get the point. Because there's a bunch of other examples that I could use, but this is my example, and I get to run the show. So this show was legit. And the question is, whenever it comes to watching shows, why are we so caught up in the storyline of the characters that we see? And most often, they're finding themselves within some struggle to live. Like, why do we get sucked into any story? Because we see ourselves in the narrative, don't we? Like, good versus evil, life versus death, light against darkness. We seem to be drawn into the reality that there is some kind of fullness of life that's possible for us, And yet we all seem to fall short of fully experiencing it, don't we? Shows like this resonate with us, in my opinion, because we believe the full life is possible, but the catch is life without peace isn't life at all, is it? Like how many times do our heroes, do our characters touch peace, taste peace, only to have it dashed away by the enemy of peace that steals life, that brings death, like literally in every season, This isn't far from our own lives. Like in our pursuit of the game of life, trying to pull all the pieces together to bring us peace, we find ourselves often overwhelmed by circumstance, pulled apart by troubles, by trials and temptations. And while we aren't the walking dead, sadly, many of us have resorted to a living dead. You see, we've resorted to all sorts of half solutions, half truths to fix our problem to peace. In life, we, we're trying to find these self-help books, these self-improvement. We, we do yoga, we burn incense, we have crystals, right? We, we, we try to simplify our life by cutting out the fluff and we master one thing only to still feel empty and without life. And then frantically, we turn and grab at the next mystery pill for peace only to find that that too, at the end of its rope, was empty and we're worn out and we're tired and we're still unhappy, and we're still uneasy, without peace, not living a full life. We're so divided, aren't we? We're so split. 
between completing interests with others, within ourselves. There's, there's a quote that I want to share with you from Thomas Kelly. Now, this was a Quaker from the 1940s, okay? The 1940s. And I think it says it all. Each of us tends to be not a single self, but a whole committee of selves. We are not integrated. We are distraught. We fill honestly the pool of many obligations and try to fulfill them all. And we are unhappy, uneasy, strained, oppressed, and fearful. We shall be shallow. For over the margins of life comes a whisper, a faint call, a a premonition of richer living, which we all know we are passing by. Strained by the very mad pace of our daily outer burdens, we are further strained by an inward uneasiness because we have hints that there is a way of life vastly richer and deeper than all of this hurried existence. A life of unhurried serenity and peace and power. If only we could slip over into that center, if only we could find the silence which is the source of sound. We've seen, we've known some people who have seemed to found this deep center of living where the fretful calls of life are integrated, where no as well as yes can be said with confidence. We've seen such lives integrated, unworried by the tangles of close decisions, unhurried, cheery, fresh, positive, These are not people of dallying idleness nor of oblivious mooning meditation. They are busy carrying their full load as well as we are without any chafing of the shoulders, with the burden, with quiet joy and springing step surrounding the trifles of their daily life is an aura of infinite peace and power and joy. And yet we are so strained and tense with our burdened lives. They are poised and at peace. You see, for so many of us, we're unhappy, we're uneasy, we're strained, we're oppressed, and we live our lives in fear, don't we? And if this sounds familiar at all, like if if you can resonate with that in any way, the good news is that you're in the right place. Because if your life is without peace and you want to flourish, the good news is that Jesus has come to help us. You see, life Life without peace isn't life at all. And to flourish is going to take more than a few self-help books. It's going to take more than some self-improvement. It's going to take more than the right diet. It's going to take more than working out. Like, these are all good things. But the gap between good and great is God. And this is why the psalmist writes, Teach me your way, Lord, that I can rely on your faithfulness And then he says, give me an undivided heart. Help me to be complete, to be whole, to be anchored. You see, it's it's as true thousands of years ago as it is today that a divided heart, a fractured life, cannot experience a God-like peace, which means that we miss out on the life-giving God. And if we want to experience God's peace, then we have to let God step into our life. And this is what sets us up to step into John's record of Jesus. You see, John was a disciple of Jesus, right? And not just any disciple. He like self-proclaimed, I'm the one that Jesus loved. Like imagine being able to say that. 
And if Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, in other words, Jesus is God in a bod, and John walked with Jesus, that means that John walked with God. And look at what John says. Like, in light of that, think about this. John opens up his gospel saying, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God. The word was God. From the very beginning, the word was with God. Through him, God made all things. Not one thing in all creation was made without him. The word was the source of life. And this life brought light to people. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has never put it out. Now what, what is so easy to miss when we read this is what is John's focus? Like what is it that John has seen? What is it that John has heard? You see, because when I read this, I focus on what blows my mind, the fact that God came down. Like God is, God is here walking among me. And yet when I read this, that's actually not what John is starstruck about. When we read John's eyewitness account, he's not, he's not blown away by the fact that God has come, rather what God has brought with him. He's taken back, he's caught off guard by the life, the light of the world, Jesus brings. This life that has become visible. John's not overcome with the fact that God is here, but rather God has brought life, true life, through Jesus. And at first glance, like it's, it's easy for us to underestimate this profound truth. Like it's easy for us to, to read that and be underwhelmed or even skeptical, like, come on, bro. Like that's the best you got. And yet beneath the surface, there's this simple revelation that John is trying to get us to, to, to go deeper into that transcends our limited understanding of life and death and faith. You see, John's message is clear. God has come and he has brought life. And our problem, our catch, is that our perception of life falls short of the vibrant, abundant reality that Jesus has come to reveal to you and to me. You see, some of us think that we're living life to the fullest, navigating the complexities of our existence with purpose and with conviction. And in truth, we're just scratching the surface and living shallow rather than deep. We have a perception problem because we think we see life all the time. We mistake the superficial desires of our existence, right, for true life, like the pursuit of wealth and success and pleasure and relationships and status for the essence of what it actually means to be truly alive. And we've become ensnared by this illusion of self-sufficiency and believing that we can find fulfillment and meaning apart from God. And yet we're not doing a very good job. And John is begging us to dig deeper, to peer beneath the surface, to behold a fullness of life that Jesus has come to bring us. And this is more than just belief in God. It's more than just having faith in his existence. It's this radical transformation, this journey that Jesus is taking us on from spiritual death to life, from spiritual emptiness to overflowing abundance. See, John's not interested in moving us from unbelief to belief. What he's trying to show us is that God has come to breathe new life into my dead soul to wake me up 
from my slumber of spiritual death and to usher in the goodness of his kingdom, to see that he is moving and active today. The life that Jesus offers isn't some extension of our earthly existence. It is a divine invitation to partake in the very essence of God's eternal life, to experience his love, his joy, his peace in all of its fullness. And God has come through Jesus to put death behind us so that way we can learn to truly live the life that he intended for us to live. Jesus has come to put death behind us so he, we can experience the life, the true life that is in front of us. And over and over and over and over again. In John's accounts, he's trying to hammer this home because how many of you know we're so stubborn? John 14, 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me also. Now, why does Jesus have to tell those who believe in him to not let their hearts be troubled? You see, Jesus, he recognizes that our attachment, our, our anchor is to this world. He sees that our worries, our, our anxieties, our pace are tied to those attachments. And when we fret, we ruminate, when we obsess on whatever it is that has our heart, it reveals where we've placed our treasure. Because whatever has our heart's desire is moving us, is motivating us. What we let sit on our heart moves and motivates. It messes with our head and our hands. And Jesus knows that if we do not put him first, whatever desires we turn to will create a tension within our life and sour the peace that he has for our soul and strip us of the life that he was trying to give us. And Jesus continues. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Like, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And, and chances are, if you've had any proximity to Christianity, if, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've, you've heard this preached, you've heard this taught to you. But I think we still miss it. Now, th think about the last time somebody gave you directions, right? Or somebody, you know, was like, hey, this is, the, this is the meal. You're like, oh my gosh, I just had the greatest meal. And he's like, okay, I'll show you how to make it. And they gave you a long list of things. Now, I know that we have Google and we have YouTube and you have Pinterest, but imagine for a moment that you don't have those things. How well are you going to do at following those directions? Probably not as good as you think. Like, we're smart, but let's be real. We can be having a conversation, and I already forgot your name, and we just started it like 10 seconds ago. But what if, instead of just giving you the directions, they said, here's what you need to know. It's important for you to know, but actually, let me show you how it's done. Follow me. How could that change the experience? You see, there's a difference between telling us a way and showing us a way. And when Jesus says, I am the way, Jesus is saying, I have come to take you by the hand and to show you, to lead you into the life that I've already modeled. Come and follow me. I'm not taking you somewhere that I have not already been. I'm not just pointing in direction and saying, hey, go. I'm gonna take you by the hand and lead you there. 
I'm not just giving you good advice and directions. Let me show you how to get there. And too many believers, new and old, like we read this and we think that Jesus is just like giving us some, some good advice and we open up the word and we show up to church and then we sit and we think, all right, God, change us. All right, God, make my life better. I said I believed. I'm here right now. There is more to faith than just believing. There is work that we have to do. And this is why Jesus keeps speaking. If you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, do what I say you should do. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you, and will be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Now why, why do we need a spirit of truth? Because the world that we live in is full of lies. It's full of half-truths. And we need help to see what real truth is. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Because I live, you will also live on the day that you realize that I am in my father and you are in me and I am in you. Now all this I have spoken while I'm still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. And then what does he say? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. In other words, it's not temporary. It's not fleeting. It's gonna last. It won't leave you. It won't forsake you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus is extending an invitation that transcends mere obedience. It's an invitation to abide in his love, to stand in his truth, and then experience the fullness of his presence within our lives. If you love me, keep my commands. In other words, Jesus is saying, you realize love is a choice. You're choosing to be committed to truth even when it's inconvenient, even when it's not comfortable, even when it doesn't make sense. Because faith is affirmed on the other side of obedience. Like Jesus is not trying to make us look foolish. He's looking to fill us up with faith. And he assures his disciples, and by extension, those who say we will follow him, them, us, that he will neither orphan us, he's not going to abandon us, he will never leave us alone. He is telling us, I am sending you a helper. That helper is my presence, my spirit that is going to go and reside in you. It will dwell in you to comfort you, to encourage you, and to empower you, to guide you in all truth, to be a light in the darkness of your life. And, and we can hear this, and we can think that this is kind of irrational. We can dismiss this as this is some fanciful idea. But if you've experienced the goodness of God's presence, those of us who have embraced the transformational power of God's spirit, these words resound with a different kind of profound truth that defies all of our human comprehension, doesn't it? Because we've seen God do the impossible. We've seen God do the unexpected. 
It's through the indwelling of God's presence within us that we're invited into this dynamic relationship with God, a relationship characterized by intimacy, by communion, and mutual abiding. And as we surrender to the leading of God's spirit, we discover that we're not merely just recipients of God's grace and his guidance. We are participants in the divine work of redemption and renewal that's happening within us and in the world around us. Like when we let God lead, we find an assurance in the midst of his certainty, strength in times of weakness, hope in the face of adversity. His presence becomes our constant companion, guiding us through the trials and triumphs of life, illuminating the path before us with his divine light and truth. We have to learn to center ourselves in Christ. And that's when we discover the profound truth that we are not alone but that we're intimately connected to God and God's family. And in him, we find our true identity and purpose. In him, we experience the fullness of life that was promised, a life marked by divine love, unshakable peace, unwavering hope. Like if we want a full life, a life marked by peace in the face of conflict, then we have to learn that God needs to be the center of our soul. And peace with God is marked by two things, presence and purpose. Peace with God is found in his presence and when we walk out his purpose. We first live for God's presence. Like, God isn't going to force his way into our life. When we read the Gospels, we find over and over again, Jesus simply extends an invitation to follow him. He never forces anyone but he gives them just enough information to be willing to believe. Just enough information to say, would you be willing to take a step of faith? And Jesus is looking us in the eyes now and saying, would you come and walk with me? And if you would, I will show you the way. Right? It's a daily undertaking. It's more than just a prayer. It's more than just saying you believe. It is learning to journey with Jesus day by day, moment by moment, breath by breath, and learning to live differently. Following Jesus isn't about having God center his life around ours. It's us centering our life around him, dwelling and abiding in him. True life is living in God's presence. And then the second thing is we live for God's purpose. But the catch is you can't walk out God's purpose if you're not in God's presence. This is why Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. The paradox of the kingdom of God is that self-fulfillment is found in self-denial. This goes against everything that culture teaches us. It's completely countercultural. The call to follow Jesus is to empty our lives of us so he can fill us up with him. That as we give, give God all that we are, he will give us all that he is. There's an exchange. That as we surrender to his will, his work, his love in our life, through our life, we discover a life and life abundant. And we find that while everything around us changes, while nobody else seems to be able to be, to be stable and certain 
that we can trust and count on. God is unshakable. He's immovable. He's constant, the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he has never changed or left us. True life is walking out on God's purpose, but why do we struggle with this? Because presence and purpose don't happen if we live our life based on our desires. You see, we have to move from desire to discipline. We have to move from desire to discipline. Like, this is why Paul writes in his letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 10, train yourself to be godly. There's work that you have to do when it comes to faith. It's not belief alone. It's not a prayer alone. Train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life, life now, and the life that is to come, life next. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. This is why we labor and strive. This is why we have to do work. This is the work that we work on (laughs) because we have put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all people and especially of those who believe. You see, it is the practice of spiritual disciplines that that moves God from our heart through our body, through our hands, through our feet to the world around us. That's what changes everything. And, and these are the practices. And I know it's Sabbath, prayer, fasting, solitude, generosity, scripture, community, service, witness. Like the words are simple. The practice is not easy, is it? It's so hard. It's, so, it's such intentional work on our part to put these practices into work. But if you want the full life, the life that Jesus has come to bring, if you want a life of peace and wholeness and healing, you have to learn to walk these out. I have to learn to walk these out. It has to be rhythms in my life. And, and it's crazy, right? Because if you're anything like me, you just try to jam more things into your life, don't we? It's like, of course, we're, we're gonna pray more. So I'm gonna wake up earlier. Come on. You might do it for a day, You might do it for a week, but inevitably what happens? The busyness, the pace of your life because your desires are for you rather than for him, God ends up on the margins rather than being in the center, doesn't he? And the only way that we can experience the life that he's come to bring, the peace that he has come to bring you and me is to put him first. To be intentional, to be dedicated, to the disciplines that he gives us. And then he begins to work on our heart and reveal to us the things that actually need to go. It's like, we're, we're so busy, aren't we? We run around so frantically trying to grab at all that life has to offer that we ultimately miss what matters most. And Jesus is saying, would you just learn to empty yourself And if you'd learn to empty yourself, you would give me room to step in, to teach you, to train you, to show you a better way of living that's living deep rather than shallow. 
that only comes through me. You know, the truth is, like, you, you we're not in this room today because you're, it's like we're all here because we, we desire to love God. We desire to know him more. But the truth is, good intentions, that's not enough. Like, when it comes to faith, there is work that we have to do. And we're too distracted. We're so distracted. Discipline requires work, meaning that we have to live intentionally. Following Jesus is learning to live with focus, to simplify. And I'm not sure that we realize how much of our wealth moves God off of the throne of our heart. And I know you're like, I'm not wealthy, but think about it. It's not just money. Think of all the stuff that you have. Most of us have so much, more than enough. And it's all of that wealth, that stuff, that distracts us from what matters most, God. And we crave spiritual discipline, but we're so distracted by desires, good desires, but they're driving a wedge between us and God. And God, he, he warned us about this in the parable of the four soils, Mark 4, 19, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come and what? Choke the word, steal your life making it unfruitful. See, wealth is deceitful because it promises what it cannot give, security and satisfaction. And Jesus has entered into human history. He has come down into our story to shatter the chains of death, to put death behind us so he can put life in front of us and to show us that there is a richer, better way to live if you would learn to take your eyes off you and put them on him everything could change. Learn to live because in Jesus we have nothing to lose and we have gained everything that matters most. Jesus changes everything. There is a life that you can experience, a life of peace, but it starts with following Jesus. Are you ready for your life to flourish? Are you ready to step into something fulfilling purposeful, intentional. I want to pray over us. Heavenly Father, God, you know each and every person that's in this room. You know them by name. You knit them in their mother's womb. And God, you see, God, the struggles, the tension right now, God, that is happening within their world, within their soul. God, we desperately, God, each and every one of us, we desperately want to live life and to live it to the full. But the truth is we get in our own way. We stumble, we lose focus. But God, when we follow you, what you tell us is that you put your presence and your spirit in us to give us strength when we're weak to help nudge us, direct us when we're drifting and moving the wrong way. But the catch the catch, God, is that we have to choose to wake up and listen and move back towards your voice. God, I just pray, Lord, that right now in this moment, God, that you would put the finger, God, on our heart, on the areas of our life where we are doing and being too much. Where we are living, God, for ourselves rather than living intentionally for you, God. God, help us to experience life and life abundant that only comes by following you. Because a life without peace is not life at all. And you are the Prince of Peace. You are the only one, God, who can give us what it is that we need to live a full and satisfying life.
God, work on us, challenge us, change us, God, from the inside out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.